Yeah, to start recording, we have to ask the question, then, the infamous question that everybody wants to know who listens to Trash Future, which is, how do you get into Burkhine? Oh, I mean, it's um, it's a magical formula. No, like, honestly, there's no secret to it. Um, I, I just go looking really, really, like, re- I just go looking sort of tired, and I dress in all black, and I go on Sunday morning at 11 a.m. or so. Yeah, I yeah. mean, like, you just have to look like you, you want to have fun. Like, I think one of the times I got into Burkhine, I think I've been rejected maybe twice, um, but one of the times I got in... I was genuinely so drunk that I, um, I was, uh, you know, at a house party, I decided, okay, I should go home, mm-hmm. but maybe I should go to a club as kind of an interim period, just like spend two hours dancing, have some water, sober up a bit, and then go home. <laughs> 24 so hours later. Yeah. I mean, not even that. So basically I show up at Burghai and I get to the door and like Sven, the, um, door master, uh, just standing there and he's like six foot seven. He has all these face tattoos and he's very intimidating. And he turns to me and he's like, okay, wie alt bist du? Like, how old are you? And just, I don't know, without thinking, I, it wasn't true. But I just said, ich bin 17 Jahren alt, I'm 17. <laughs> and he was like, okay, I'm going to try this in English. How old are you? And I was like, ich bin 17 Jahren alt. And he was like, I, no, that's not true. And I was like, <laughs> ich bin 17 Jahren alt. And he was like, Okay, I guess. Like, have fun. And then just let me in. <laughs> I'm just amazed that there's, like, this club and you have to pass through, like, a fucking orc to get in. And he's six foot seven <laughs> oh, with face tats. Yeah. He, I mean, he was um, he was a photographer. Uh, and he was in uh, on the gay punk scene in, in East Berlin. And then just became the only doorman with an agent. It's amazing. Yeah. No, it's, look, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Berghain is the world's best place. Well, I mean, you Riley. So I really, I just, I love techno. As our listeners know, I just love it. Right. Yeah. I will say maybe this is like a cultural difference. There were, um, I feel like there was a tweet maybe a year and a half ago that was like, okay, right, what is white people's Wakanda? And I was like, Burger. <laughs> <laughs> yup. In this basement, that rule is definitely yes. applying. That's absolutely true. Three thousand retweets. Thank you very much. Drop in the theme music on that one. <laughs> Not heard that tweet. It's amazing. <laughs> um, okay. Also, um, I'm gonna. How should I introduce you? Nathan Ma, journalist in Berlin. Nathan Ma is a beauty and a mystery. <laughs> um, let's just keep that as the intro. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck it. Because uh, all of the all the information's there. We have we have you in your sweet voice saying beauty and mystery. Uh, welcome to this week's bonus TF, everyone. It's bonus time. It's bonus time for all of you beautiful. Beautiful people. Maybe you're not beautiful. I'm sure you are inside. Uh, Right in. (laughs) Tell me. (laughs) Yes, it's us. It's a smaller crew than normal. It's myself, Riley, and Nathan Ma, who's here from Berlin and has made time in his busy London schedule to come to a basement to record a podcast. He's made time to talk about uh, one sort of interesting and important thing, and then two bits of piddling nonsense (laughs) that uh, I'm very excited to talk about nonetheless. Um, Shall we hop right in to uh, to the first bit of piddling nonsense? Are we ready? Let's do it. P- piddling nonsense is actually a night at laboratory. It is. It's Wednesday. <laughs> Wednesday is piddling nonsense. Thursday exactly. is scat night. I did not realize that, that Berlin went that hard. I knew. I mean, I guess I sort of should have envisioned it. Like, I mean, like, okay, this is right. clearly, but but wow, yeah, I had no yeah. idea. I mean, yeah. have you heard of uh, what is it? Oh God, there is that. There is a t- biannual gay party there. Um, where they essentially just set up a is this snacks? Snacks, yeah. of course. Yeah, they set up a. It's men only, quote unquote. Uh, and they set up like I don't know a shoot and ladder situation where you can just pee down it, and someone's standing at the bottom <laughs> with their mouth open. It's oh yeah, no, there are to- like it's there'll there'll just be guys like sitting in the toilets, like beside the toilet, being hi, you can pee on me instead of the toilet. Fa- but they're so, very polite. So so famously, there was this story about. Um, I don't know, there were photos of this. I want to say it was in Vice UK about. Uh, a guy discovered that in like a restaurant and I want to say it wasn't like Mayfair, but it was somewhere in West London. Yeah, he had a piss dungeon. Yeah, the, the, the piss, like, the, like there was like a piss dungeon set up so that instead the, the urinal had been swapped out with a tube. And I was like, now it all makes sense. This was an expat from Berlin who had to be in London for work. And he's like, but I'm not missing Wednesday night. I'm it's not happening. Wasn't, I'm not wasting fiddling nonsense. <laughs> <laughs> um, what else was that? That's a reverse Chuck Berry. I don't get it. 
Chuck Berry started a the guy from, who did Johnny Be Good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Started yeah. a chain of restaurants with cameras in all the toilets. We so could watch women pee. Oh, oh, got it. Yeah, I remember yeah. that. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't we just love learning about our favorite celebrities. <laughs> so sweet. Well, I mean, I guess if the, if the oh yeah, I guess it makes sense. If if someone's in the toilet watching you, then it's sort of the reverse of the situation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the reverse uh, Chuck Berry. Now, <sighs> I'd like to get into some of, some of the content, and specifically the content I'd like to get into is um. As listeners know, I recently got back from a trip to America where I spent some time in Canada, specifically in Niagara on the Lake, the town I grew up in. I have with me a copy of the Niagara on the Lake local newspaper, and I cannot, I have to share this with everyone because I, everyone I've showed this to is absolutely delighted by it, and, and, and we're just going to go through it here. Um, it's called The Lake Report, because it's Niagara on the Lake, mm-hmm. um, yeah. and it is it's staffed by it seems like two people and it has a bizarre vendetta a series of vendettas against a local animal a local small animal rights group that's protesting the use of carriage horses in the town um, so i mean i assume that this is because this is a sort of controversial thing like in new york for example they have the carriage mm-hmm. horses and that's like attracted some some protest yes same sort of thing like same can, sort of thing like a touristy but, thing where you can pay to have people ride you around in horses but it's one family that owns like the two horse-drawn carriages Do they also own the newspaper <laughs> well we we they will come to that so the um the headline protesters resist persist residents resist the ongoing conflict between animal rights activists and horse-drawn carriage supporters in Niagara Lakes Heritage District stirred up more controversy during the week, the weekend, with a no-show by the protesters during one of their planned demonstrations and an ill-received display at the Clock Tower World War One Senate. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, side note: Clock Tower. Yeah, yeah, we have a so clock, tower. clock Tower. Yeah, oh yeah, it's an old ass. Shit, it's an old ass thing. And you um, have and you have a cenotaph. We do, we do. Um, <laughs> Everything you could possibly want in Niagara on the Lake. It's amazing. Um, hold on. Even Canadian what? wines. Uh, no, that is literally where they're from. I, I, so, th- ca- catching up on this, it's been a long. We can always get Riley spun up to go on a rant defending the honor of Canadian wines because apparently there's a microclimate in the Niagara Peninsula, and he will defend Canadian wines. Uh, Are there quality wines in Canada? I mean, I know stuff from like like okay, here we go, here we go, uh, British Columbia because you oh, got like that stuff, but like in the same way that it's like Western Washington, right. but but like I didn't realize that apparently Niagara also has wines. Okay, I found I found the bit. Uh, around 250 people came out to support the horse carriages over the course of the afternoon, said Jennifer Jones Butsky, one of the founders of the support group. <laughs> around 50 of those people were wearing locals for carriages shirts to support the cause. <laughs> um, so what you're saying is that. People are mad at the animal rights group, and it's galvanized the community to come out and support horse carriages. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, is this sh- the only thing that's going on? In, yes, in, it in is Niagara the only thing. I feel uh, like it's a very eco-friendly form of transportation. To be fair, yeah. Uh, I mean, when you think about it, it's like it's a horse. But like what are the carbon emissions on a horse carriage? Um, the protesters had the audacity to say that the locals for carriages group helped them by creating chaos and crowding the city, when in reality it helped prove that the, the protesters have made no progress whatsoever and that they are not welcome. <laughs> <laughs> are they trying to say that these are like outside agitators when they're clearly people? They're just people from the town. <laughs> it's, it's just it's so fun. So I got to ask you. You pointed this out before we started recording, but. There were like nine or ten articles about the horse protests in, in, in this, this one in this issue. One issue newspaper. Can we talk about the population of Niagara on the Lake? Uh, it's, yeah, like not many. <laughs> the three, and they all work for the Lake Report wow. or for the carriage. <laughs> and then two of them are horses. Yeah. Uh, here we go. Um, so they said they the protest group, uh, their goal is to get Sentinel Carriages, which is owned by a family called the Sentinels, uh, to change their business model. The end goal that we've been pushing has remained consistent the whole time. It's time for Sentinel Carriages to transition into an electric carriage business. <laughs> um, the the leader slapping emoji, get a robot horse. Adding that if, he, if the operators do so, he believes they would save money and be able to afford to convert the stables into a sanctuary for horses. <laughs> Laura Sentinel, co-owner of Sentinel Carriages, said the company has no plans to switch to electric carriages. The magic of, of it all is the horse, she said. The carriage is just the means to an end. Without a horse, it's just a car. <laughs> See, again, eco-friendly. Look, I'm with the Sentinels here. No, you're with the um, you're with the protesters, not the Sentinels. 
Oh, wait. Yo, no, you are with us. Yeah, yeah. eco-friendly, look. <laughs> See, what's, what's weird about this is that we could be talking about robot over- overlords or a family in Canada that owns horse carriages. And we're like, I'm with the Sentinels. It's like, well, you know, in the grand scheme of things, uh, maybe if you aren't with the Sentinels, you're going to wind up made into a slurry. That's just the way that it works. <laughs> so the, this is the editorial. <laughs> yes. News has to be reported, even if it's bad. It's no secret the protests against sentinel carriages have become frustrating for many residents of the town. But what are they like lying down on the highways? Like what are they doing? No, they're scrolling they're just... signs. The Lake Report is aware that by writing about the protests, the paper is giving a platform to the protesters. We suspect this is what the protesters want. Oh my god! So Don't I mean, it's, it's amazing man. how like the the, the the surest way to fascism in the West is to piss off people who own jet ski dealerships. Like if you do that, like they'll be like. Fuck freedom of the press. Fuck right of assembly. Doesn't matter. Like, is, and the, the, the protest must be criminalized for everyone because you have inconvenienced me by being alive. Although this isn't a jet ski dealership town. It's a sailing club town. Okay. Okay. Um, it's a middle class. Uh, though it may pain us and other residents to see them and hear their mostly delusional and quite frankly strange rhetoric, like, quote, earthlings, non-human persons, and speciesism, it is the job of the newspaper to report, uh, report important happenings in our town, especially issues that draw such widespread resident concern. So they, they're talking about speciesism or whatever in their protests? They're, so they're, so they're, basically, the entire, like, a, a large segment of Niagara-on-the-Lake went to Sarah Lawrence and came back to decided to protest horses. Yeah, and, and, and then our local paper turned into the spike <laughs> somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Can we talk about Earthlings really quickly? Yeah, yeah Earthlings. That's a little what? Do you have contact with aliens in Niagara on the Lake? Apparently, maybe they're the horses. I mean, so is it the idea that like uh, uh, do their signs reference this, or is it like is this something to do with? Uh, I mean, no, maybe. I, th- I I think maybe their signs just might use a word that sort of is strange to Richard Harley, editor of the Lake Report. <laughs> See, because the way he describes it makes me feel like this is like Posadist yeah. protesters, you know what I mean? Oh, they're like so sweet. Like, like Niagara like, the Lake was taken over by <laughs> Posadists. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the dolphins told us to nuke Canada or something like that. <laughs> um, uh, okay. That any group would want to put an end to, uh, to all domesticated animals and the bond between animal and human is soulless and heartbreaking. <laughs> To locals for carriages, I say keep focused on your goal. Share about how the horses add positively to our beautiful town and keep on going through the procedures to have council step in with a permit system. To members of At War for Animals Niagara, I have a few suggestions for you. A places where you where your drive, the only thing I can commend about your group might actually make a positive impact. Uh oh, what is it? One, Marine Land. You know that place where the walrus died a couple of months ago that keeps a wide variety of animals for entertainment? Two, Skyway Animal Hospital. Well, you're too late, actually. It's closed because when people have a real reason to protest, like a pet beating vet, the cause actually gets traction. Cat hoarders. You'd be surprised how many are right here in Niagara. Bob Barker and the folks at the Price is Right would be peeved. Oh, my God. Why would you go protest cat hoarders, you stupid protesters? Leave the horses alone. So, so when my dad got out of the army, he got like sort of automatically signed up for the American Legion magazine for like a year. And so we used to get those at home. And they would have articles like this where it's like a guy I'd be like recounting like these rude hippies pissed on me but then i beat their ass and the cops were like hell yeah do it again and it's like that kind of writing an editorial to fight an enemy that only exists in your own mind like if you want the mo- the biggest version of that here's number four of his list of he th- what he thinks the real protests for infant war for animals niagara should be the right. real to be targeting let's do it four groups that want to see all domestic animals go extinct oh wait that's you ah! <laughs> what Go protest yourself. I'm so mad. I don't know why. I'm so mad. I'm from this tiny town and I like the horses. They're very whimsical. And what a horse is better than a car in many ways. I mean, I would I, say true, so. Though. It's true. Yeah. But I just I love I love Richard Harley's brain. Right. But it doesn't end there. There's another article after one that says, "Fix it. Fix the manholes on Lakeshore Road." Um Voices of Freedom app kicks off, etc. Um there's more articles about this. An interview with the horse protesters. A retrospective Did they of, horse of the horses. <laughs> well, then on the final page of the paper, I've shown this to both you guys. Um, it then shows two uh, Sentinel um, carriage employees reading the Lake Report with the horses. I suspect that the Lake Report might be in league with Sentinel carriages, and that there might be some foul play afoot. Do you think this is money laundering? Um, Through ad space. I mean, I don't. For horses. I think, I think horses in Niagara Lake might be doing money laundering. 
I'm just, it's interesting to me that... Also, I'm not saying the paper's in hoots with him necessarily, just it seems like it. Yeah, because just in case, just in case any of the Sentinel clan are Patreon subscribers and listen to this episode, right, they, episode. Might, they might it. hire their barrister in England to bring charges against us. <laughs> it could happen. I mean, weirder things have happened. Uh, yeah, exactly. Jeez. So yeah, that's the, this is the goings on in my town. I've ever told you the story about the time I got doxxed. No. No. Oh my God. <laughs> so a little known fact about me. Uh, I have a Bachelor of Science in Animal Behavior. <laughs> a little behavior. known fact about Nathan is his name, address, and social security number. I mean, 552. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I have a Bachelor of Science in Animal Behavior. So while I was in university in Seattle, I worked at the local zoo for about three years, mm-hmm. uh, which was quite controversial. As most zoos are, people don't like animals in captivity because they are quite difficult. Um, it's quite difficult to negotiate that boundary of like, oh, I'm looking at an animal hot, so dumb. And like, oh, this is a conservation effort. Animals are pretty dumb, to be fair. Fucking stupid. I've seen so many cats eat their own shit. (laughs) (laughs) Not even at laboratories. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But basically, so at the zoo I was working at, there was a protest group, uh, vaguely associated, weirdly enough, with, um... Lily Tomlin. Oh wow! From nine to five, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. She wasn't she like on like a late night TV person in like Probably. the eighties? Yeah. I don't watch TV. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> but okay, so basically, yeah. So they would get there was a group um, called the Friends of Woodland Park Zoo Elephants. Uh-huh. Um, you can also edit that out in case you get sued. I don't know. I don't know how <laughs> this works. Um, but it was mostly retirees. It was mostly old white ladies um, who were hell-bent on getting that Woodland Park Zoo elephants freed from captivity mm-hmm. um, using very ascientifical methods. They would cite all these figures about, you know, right, these uh, conditions are abusive to elephants. It's too cold in Seattle. And it's like, no, it's actually colder in Kenya. Like, <laughs> 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 don't know what you're talking about. Seattle's actually no, very all, all of Africa is actually very hot. Yeah. Um, as a, yeah. Again, as I said, white. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, like they, Africa's not just a country. Africa is a microclimate. Literally, like, they were nuts. They would um they got annual memberships to the zoo and they would um just sit at the elephant enclosure while I was doing my work. Um and they'd go up to little kids being like, Oh, you think that elephant's cute? And the kid would be like, Yeah. And they'd be like, Oh, it's such a shame they beat them at night. So they're basically like code pink, but for elephants. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. And um I found out the hard way that they actually had a mailing list uh where anytime anyone wrote an article talking about or talking adjacent to these elephants, um, they would then send out a mail out being like, okay, right, swarm them, find out everything you know about them and discredit them. Um, So before I was a writer, I was a university student. I became a writer because my... um, all my friends were journalism majors and the editor-in-chief of the school paper said, Nathan, you either need to work here or get the fuck out of the newsroom. So I was like, fuck you, Sarah. I'm going to work here. <laughs> um, so I started working there and my first article was about these fucking elephants. Um, and I got in so much trouble because they sent out my name and they sent out my article to this mailing list of hundreds of people. And within 24 hours, I had hundreds of comments finding personal details about my life and being like, well... According to like this, he went to this high school and mm, I just don't think they have a very vigorous academic program, which she prefer they didn't. I, for all intents and purposes, am a moron. But at the same time. God, that's so, but, but all in defense of, uh, because you think it's too cold for elephants. Yeah. They were like, this is how nuts they were. One of their primary protest techniques was to be like, okay, we're going to like use our elementary school math to kind of show how abusive these conditions for elephants are um by saying you know captivity is um you know the space is just simply too compact for these elephants um and the way that they demonstrate this is by setting up a little barricade you know they get that orange plasticky fence material you can pick up Mm -hmm. at home depot and then set up a like one cubic meter square uh, and they'd be like you know stand in this and that's how the elephant feels and it's in its enclosure but they wouldn't invite people to do it they'd do it themselves and they'd be wearing full bodysuits of silver spandex with fake elephant ears and fake elephant trunks and there would just be these 70 year old women in american apparel onesies just like rocking back and forth caged in these like bizarre bizarre cages um being like this is what the elephants have to go through every day uh but they also chose to do it um if i remember correctly they would always do it 
at the exit of the parking lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so instead of scaring people off, it would actually be this like bizarre goodbye gesture. It was a guilt thing. Like I, would, I said, older white ladies. Yeah, it's a guilt thing. So you used, to be, you used to be able to do that. Now you have to just watch the, the live action movie version of Cats. Exactly. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, goddamn. Yikes. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, oh, no. It's like I love I love like um, one of my favorite things is vastly overdone um, small scale protests and the vastly overdone responses to those protests. This is all very delightful. However, uh, Nate, I believe uh, I'm going to take the unprecedented step of handing over the um, podcast reins to you. Yeah. So um, so I, I want to talk about freelancing, how freelancers earn our living and also how we are portrayed. Um, and I specifically want to talk about Fiverr. Which is not it's not a thing that really exists in the United Kingdom, but it's definitely the concept of Fiverr exists in the sense that services that sort of are are, are meant to find you clients, but really are VC backed things that drive down the cost of your work. And I wanted to talk about Fiverr specifically because um, they ran a marketing campaign that managed to basically make everyone in New York hate them, which is a hard thing to do because I mean most subway ads are annoying, and you don't see people like wanting to burn down Casper mattresses or whatever, even when like they make weird fucking <laughs> they make weird rhyming jokes on the buses in London that don't make any sense in British English, like. <laughs> They were. What was it? It was. Remember we were talking about. They had the the thing on the buses, and it was for 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 Casper mattresses, and it was like you know, uh, like always an always a like was it always a breeze to catch some Z's or whatever or something like that, like rhyming with Z's. But they don't say Z's, so they say Z's. So it's like catch some Z's, some Z's, and it was like it makes no sense to British people. And I'm like always a breeze to catch some Z's, guys. <laughs> exactly. That's the thing I say in a normal, very normal way. Um, so. Particularly, though, there was an ad that Fiverr put together where um, I'm going to bring it up on the screen here. Because, and I'm also going to close out GChat because Cynthia is talking to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so it was an article in Adweek that was talking about this, the, the extent basically to which um, they really can't seem to stop tripping on themselves, put it that way. So here's, here's the ad. Your project is due ASAP, white dude who looks like he's got a job with a salary. She'll be on it before end of day, black woman who's a freelancer. This is on Fiverr, a service that typically, the reason they call it Fiverr is because you typically only get $5 a job. Uh, the idea is that like you can maybe add on additional tasks and get paid more, but most people expect to pay $5 per task. And it was interesting because Fiverr also had ads that you know were sort of celebrating what you might describe as like hustle culture, but they were basically like, oh, y- you don't get sleep, you live on coffee, you get paid nothing, you you're a doer. It's like mm-hmm. so it's trying to sort of valorize uh, a really horrible and exploitative mm-hmm. aspect of, of, of I would say like of freelancing, but also just specifically in America, like this sort of hustle culture that like you're exp- that you're not working hard enough if you're not doing that. You know, frequently, babies actually some, are some of the laziest people of all because they have very little <laughs> follow through. Oh, entirely. Mm. And, and so one of the no things emotional are, labor. Yeah, exactly. So from the moment they're born, they just start lying, lounging around, and I think we could probably put them to work. So so five so Fiverr ran this piece right, and uh, or this this ad. And a reporter from The Guardian, uh, Julia Carey Wong, uh, quote tweeted it. And as she kind of started dragging them, and this was a weird kind of unprecedented moment in the sense that I think they already had been getting flack for the ad campaign, but this was like their attempt. In a way, it seemed like they were trying to, I don't know, rebrand it as a kind of like empowering thing. And instead, it wound up being just being landing completely wrong. And so in a way, I was thinking about this because you have stuff like Gumtree or you have uh, Airtasker or TaskRabbit or things like that. Some of these services do exist in Europe as well. And it's like it seems like the, the whole operation, the operative purpose here is to they sell you on the idea that you're somehow going to get more clients by doing this. But instead, it's really just making you earn less for your freelance work. And Nathan, you work as a freelance writer and editor. And I'm wondering what has been your experience with this kind of thing? Uh, and what are your thoughts, basically, on the sort of valorization of hustling yourself to death? Right. Um, I mean, it's a perfect time to talk about this. I've just wrapped up two 80-hour work weeks, which is phenomenal. I'm making good money. I can pay my rent. I can pay my taxes. It's I'm living the dream. Uh, I have health insurance <laughs> as an American. Oh, um, you know what? I actually still subscribe to all of the email lists from Fiverr, from all the different services, especially in Germany, because... As an American citizen, when I moved to Germany, my visa only allowed freelance work. Consequently, I couldn't get an office job unless it was paid by invoice. So I signed up to all these services. And now that I'm, you know, a young professional with a debit card, 
Ooh, I know. That's accepted in Germany almost nowhere. Exactly. <laughs> um, you know what? I, 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 I don't like them. I like them personally. They keep me humble. They keep me grounded. They keep me knowing where I came from. But I think it's fucked. And I also think it's one of the things that I try to talk to as many people about as possible. Look, I don't like talking to people who are new to Berlin. I don't like talking to people who are new to freelancing. I find both of them quite exhausting in general. However... I do think it's an important conversation to have because so many people don't know how much stupid money other people have. Um, One of the things I've learned through freelancing is you can say a number and you might think it's absurd, but it's going to be half as much as the people have in their head. It's going to be half as much as the number that people are willing to accept. Yes, that is worth 300 euros, 700 pounds, whatever. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I mean, I mean, um, I, I worked in a corporate job and I, I thought I had it made. And then I realized that my the person that was I didn't report to, but it was sort of like senior to me was probably making four times what I was making. And like right. there was there was zero way that I was ever going to be promoted uh, to get to that point. And you realize that it's in the same way that people don't want to talk about they don't if it, you're made to feel gauche in the US if you want to talk about salaries because it's, right. sort of, it's intended to keep people from realizing how much they're being screwed out of money. Similarly with freelancing, it feels like the idea that you can somehow start your way at $5 a job and that's going to somehow land you clients in a service where people wouldn't sign up to hire freelancers that way if they weren't expecting to pay $5 a job. And the idea that somehow gonna, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna convert that into a, a, a something that's going to pay you much better, it seems like it's just... It, the operative concept here always seems to be like, ha- suffer now and it'll somehow get better in a step that we haven't clarified. Right. And, and to me, because I, 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 I also, uh, I, for years since I was, uh, I, I finished grad school all three and a half years ago. And basically from the last semester of grad school onward until very relatively recently, I did uh, freelance SEO copywriting. Right. And I wrote specifically for a service. And sometimes I'd get paired up directly with clients. Sometimes I just write for the guy who was sort of like the person who managed it. And if I asked for more money than what he paid me, if I ever asked for a raise, even when like I turned in high quality work, didn't matter. He's just like, yeah, sorry, can't. And I just wouldn't get jobs. So it's either accept this rate, you're never getting anything else, and, or don't accept it and get nothing. And it's like, well, when you have to pay bills and you have to pay rent, like you, 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 sometimes, you, you, have, you find yourself swallowing your pride and just doing it anyway. And it sucks. And it's like people realize when they've got you in a position to, you know, to, to not bargain. Right. And, and, it's, and I'm wondering too, is like, this seems to be more and more typical of the economic experience for a lot more people, whether right. it's in the UK, things like zero hours contracts or people who are freelance jobbing. Like, it doesn't seem as though it lends itself to, to, to any kind of stability or what you might consider career progression. Right. I think as a freelancer of any, like, uh, uh, freelancers of all stages of the career, one of the most um, pressing issues is payment terms. When am I going to actually see this money? Yeah. Which I think is a fundamental misunderstanding of services like Fiverr where it's like okay right we can put all this effort in to make a project it might take five minutes and we get it you know a pound a minute it also might take an hour and we <laughs> fuck ourselves over however after you complete the work after the work has been accepted it becomes I mean you get to the second battle of being freelancers which is actually getting paid, getting paid yeah which I think is also one of the most interesting things about media specifically in the UK where it's notoriously low paid compared to the States, even compared to Germany where rates are terrible. Um, it's like quite often you get quoted for, yeah, okay, right. Do this article will be 20 pounds. And you're like, okay, whatever. I don't care. I'll do it. Whatever. Um, here's an album review. I just wanted to listen to the album before it was released. So I could, I don't know, tweet about it and live that life. Yeah. Um, but in the UK as well, there's also a law that stipulates you can add a clause to every invoice that says, okay, right, based on you know the law in the UK, um, late payment over the 30-day terms will be penalized with a 40-pound um, with a 40-pound fine, which then becomes quite interesting because if you're writing a 20-pound album review or live show review or whatever, uh, and they don't pay you on time, you've effectively tripled your rate yeah. because they fucked up. And there's nothing they can do against it other than not pay you, um, which does happen, to be fair. But I think, yeah, I think what I'm trying to say is at the end of the day, I think services like Fiverr, I mean, obviously they're bad, but I think anyone involved in any degree from any angle of these kind of um, freelance platforms Mm -hmm. just doesn't understand how freelancing works. Yeah. Well, I've actually got the copy here, if I may may briefly take some of the uh, the reins back. 
Um, freelance, uh, Fiverr's About Us section on LinkedIn is as follows. Our mission is to change how the world works together. Uh, we started with the simple idea that people should be able to buy and sell digital services in the same fashion as physical goods in an e-commerce platform. Like they're really stealing Marx's valor here. I mean... Where it's like, yeah. Is the first we we realize that you can buy and sell what labor as a commodity? Crazy. <laughs> um, on that basis, we set out to design a digital marketplace that is built with a comprehensive uh, SKU-like service catalog and an efficient search, uh, find and order processes that mirrors a typical e-commerce transaction. Again, it's just selling labor. Um, our bit here is where it gets interesting. Our business of enabling freelance work is deeply connected to the opportunities that technology has enabled in the modern economy. Um, while businesses want frictionless and seamless access to a global pool of talent, individuals increasingly want to choose where they work, when they work, and what they do for work. Our platform was designed to serve those needs. But the problem is, I think what this is something that I often think about, about, about freelancing, is that the idea that freelancing is somehow liberatory, only, it only is liberatory if you're independently wealthy somehow. Right. Because, in fact, what it means is that you are extremely unable to choose the nature, manner, or, um, or, or, or even location sometimes of your work because there is this fantasy and all of the, the, the main thing that's bad about office culture is the main thing that's bad about it is not the you know exploitation, the hours, whatever, but the thing that's bad about it is that it's boring. But all the boring shit about it is stable. It means that you know where your next paycheck is coming from. You know you probably roughly are able to do the next thing you're going to do. You know, you know that like I can plan a holiday because I know I can take a weekend off. Yeah. You know, right. so it's it's selling it's essentially it is selling people on the idea of completely fucking themselves as a lifestyle. Right. And I think that's also one of the things with freelancing too, that platforms like this simply don't understand. Is that so much of freelancing is essentially finding that stability outside of the office. Um which for a lot of clients does require, you know, it's not a baton pass. It's not, here's a brief, now do it. No, for most corporate clients, for most even like journalism clients, there is an onboarding process, be it this is how you've sent an invoice or be it, so here are our brand values and we're going to have a 13-hour phone call about this. Um, the idea, like I get the sense that services like Fiverr offer, um, they imagine freelance work as an orchard where you can just pick a pear when you're hungry. But when you're a freelancer and you're hungry, you need that money in your account three days ago. You can't yeah. wait for seven jobs to come in in a day. And also, if you get seven jobs on Fiverr, that's 35 euros. What the fuck is that going to buy? Yeah, I mean, I was thinking about this that, I mean, people, I, I had some some pieces that I ran as a freelance writer. Um, and I mean, I, there was great exposure wise. Obviously, like, I appreciated the fact that, like, I got a much bigger audience, got a lot more Twitter followers. It's awesome. However, all of those stories put together wouldn't have paid my rent once in New York. You know what I mean? Like, and we had we had a studio that was like 200 square feet. Right. Like, we Riley saw the place. It's really small. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it was like, on one hand, you you get you might have a thing that you can say, okay, I've accomplished this because I've been published by X, you know, publication that's like you know got a huge audience or like that. But that I mean, the New York Times will absolutely massage your editorial so it's below 800 words, so they only have to pay you 200 dollars instead of 500 dollars. Right, and then exactly. it's like, but 200 dollars is still a lot of money for a story, as opposed to some places where they'll pay you like 50. Yeah. And I mean, I didn't realize that the, the UK media paid like 20 pounds a story in some cases, but Jesus, that's 100. percent I think one of my best paid rates last year was actually Kilfi. Really? Oh wow. <laughs> well, because I, I thought about it too. Like, yeah, I'm mean, telling the story about the guy with the, the fucking freelance, uh, the SEO copywriting. Like, it's mind numbing. Like, it's literally just writing like fake copy so that you can fool Google's crawlers into thinking that like right. it's a real blog post or something but the guy would basically pay invoices within 24 hours I'm like right. so you just always go back to it cuz like well fuck it at least I know I'm getting paid oh entirely and i think that's one of the things that people also don't understand about how freelance economy works especially in things like corporate copywriting especially in things of working at any kind of corporate level um, you know, with that kind of family ethos that most corporations have adopted uh, to be like, no, we're all in this together. We all own this company. We're all a family and we're going to, you know, we will stick through this and we will power through in uh, often a quite abusive way to be like, yeah. no, the working conditions at BuzzFeed, they're terrible right now. But you know what? You don't need a union because we're your parents and we love you. I was going to say, I love the idea. <laughs> it's like, we're a family. We'll get through this as a family. Uh, we're actually going to model it like a wasp family, which means we're not ever going to talk about anything. We're just going to be really weirdly abusive to each other and everyone's going to have substance abuse problems. Yeah, it's great. I mean, <laughs> what more do you want? It's Look, 2019. Nate, that's my culture. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I understand, Riley. I understand. Riley. But, but the thing the thing also, I, I wanted to read this last, uh, to kind of close out the segment. Um, 
I going through the talking about Fiverr and, and reading articles from people like there was one particularly about a freelancer talking about like okay in the US basically with PayPal fees and Fiverr fees you get about 378 or something like that per $5 job. Right. And so obviously like it's not worth that much. Um so that blew my mind when I realized how that Fiverr wasn't just a clever name that it literally was because it, you pay $5 oh, for no, a job. Yeah, yeah. But then also uh talking about this and sort of the 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 responses that the, their campaign has generated led me to a piece that Gia Tolentino wrote for The New Yorker. And she had this paragraph in here, and I want to read this out loud, because I think this says a lot about what we've been talking about um, and kind of like some other larger issues. She said, At the root of this American obsession with self-reliance, which makes it more acceptable to, an, to applaud an individual for working himself to death than to argue that an individual working himself to death is evidence of a flawed economic system, the contrast between the gig economy's rhetoric, everyone is always connecting, having fun, and killing it, and the conditions that allow it to exist, a lack of dependable employment that pays a living wage, makes this kink in our thinking especially clear. Human interest stories about the beauty of some person standing up to the punishments of late capitalism are regular features in the news, too. I've come to detest the local news set piece about the man who walks 10 or 11 or 12 miles to work, a story that's always filed from Oxford, Alabama, from Detroit, Michigan, from Plano, Texas. The story is always written as a tearjerker with praise for the person's uncomplaining attitude. A car is usually donated to the subject in the end. Never mentioned or even implied is the shamefulness of a job that doesn't permit a worker to afford his own commute. I think about that stuff, too, because, yeah, you've... We see that in America all the time, the oh, weird sort of like the like this guy, there's no bus in this part of Detroit or whatever. So this guy walks 12 miles each way, like that right, kind of yeah. shit. And it's just it, it, with with freelancing, I don't think the stuff that that drives people from from it, I guess I put it this way. Some people do quit corporate jobs to freelance. That's right. some people quit stable jobs to freelance. But a lot of people, if they want to be in certain parts of the media, freelancing is sort of like the adjunct professorship of media careers in the sense that right. it supposedly gets your foot in the door, but your foot never gets anywhere further than just in the door. Right. And I don't know if that's been your experience or if that's been, um, or if you've seen this stuff kind of sold in a way that it's like made people think that, that there there's more you can expect than that. But for me, at least, all I think of when I think of freelancing is just like. God, I hope that the clients who actually pay their invoices on time have lots of work for me. Right. No, entirely. And I think that's also one of the most like insidious things about freelance culture and the shift from corporate, um, from like, you know, nine to five salaried positions into more remote freelance work as, you know, it's packaged as you have the freedom to move, you have mm -hmm. the freedom to be where you want. But, you know, now we're seeing the end all be all effect of that, which is the permalance job. Yeah. There are so many job postings that are coming out now that are essentially full-time freelance positions that allow companies, A, to skimp out on any health benefits, especially, mm -hmm. I mean, in the UK, you've got the NHS. Great. Beautiful. Love it. Um, but lots of professional jobs offer private insurance, for example, here. And like, exactly. yeah, and you definitely won't get that. Oh, entirely. And like, you know, taxes and, you know, all the kind of like little things um, or, you know, even things like paid holidays, paid sick days. I saw a position yesterday advertised on Twitter um, that was a full time freelance job with in, you know, in the job position. It was like, no, you will ex be expected to be in London from 9 a.m. till 5 p.m. at the office here. Um, it, this is, position is full-time. It is freelance. You must have your own visa or working permit if you're not uh, an EU national, UK national. And it's it's embarrassing. It's really yeah. disgusting. It is a, you know, kind of like late stage example of like, where does the freedom come from? You know, the freedom is for corporations to cut us yeah. off from any benefits and access to workers' rights that we deserve. And then also you look at things like the Observer or the Telegraph where they'll they'll do that for hiring people. They'll have folks in the sort of like typing pool, right. writing content, but then they'll hire somebody like George Osborne or whomever to get paid like 650,000 pounds a year to write like a column a week. Guys, right. do you think that maybe this system might be stacked? I wonder. Um, Surely that can't be the case, I, Riley. I, I actually, I while, while you were doing that, I found another, um, another excellent uh, article that I think is quite quite telling about the sort of the way this culture works and it's just fair it, and it's not just the way this culture works as sort of annoyingly cutesy um is how this copywriter made money fast online with fa with fiverr despite her best efforts lauren gauss was a terrible employee the commute from pretoria to johannesburg every day was depressing and she didn't like the fact that her workload whether her workload was high or low she earned the same salary why wouldn't you like that i'd love if my workload was low to be earning the same salary entirely um and realized the inflexibility of an eight to five job didn't didn't suit her. So one day she went home and Googled how to make money online and discovered the world of the gig economy. Um, Is this from The Onion? No, <laughs> it's from Entrepreneur Magazine. So The Onion, but 
make a business. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's from Business Onion. Lauren began her Fiverr journey in September 2015 while she was still working full time. Um, I, I couldn't quit immediately because it was too big of a risk. So I spent my evenings on Fiverr orders and worked during the day. For three months, I only slept two hours a night. Um, Jeez. Uh, <laughs> probably not good. I work hard. I love this. I, this is insane. This is an obituary. I work hard from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., but that's my choice. I love that the more I put in, the more I get out. All I need is a laptop so I can go anywhere and carry on doing what I do. Fiverr also has an out-of-office function, so I could choose to only work two or three weeks a month if that's what I wanted. The flexibility and freedom of the gig economy has changed my life. Yeah, I'm sure if I you're getting paid five dollars a job in fucking South Africa, that like you're probably making that, but like that doesn't buy your yeah. pay your rent in London no. or New York. Uh, what I love is this is according to Lauren because they they because Fiverr is an annoying tech company that's like um entirely conceived of and staffed by annoying tech people. Um, so they they'll give you little badges. So Lauren's world domination percentage on Fiverr is fifty seven percent, meaning she has written copy or scripts for fifty seven percent of the countries in the world. It's that's terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Wor- world dominant. Yeah, it's all oh, yeah. It's like oh yes, I love this thing also where it's like yes, if you put in a, a forty hour workday, then you can get the great big laser on your page or whatever. Because all of these people, <laughs> to be fair, all I these would people, do it for that. I mean, <laughs> having the laser would be pretty amazing. And I mean, in the grand scheme of things, all we want is oh, a badge, fl- is flair for oh, our yeah. web page. We love flair. We love all of these people are complete morons. They'll do anything for flair. Well, the thing I that, mean, the, what, what gets me about these kinds of stories too though is that's great what happens when you get sick what happens when you know you get i don't know because i got you this get, remember you, if your workload goes down your salary goes down yeah that's what she likes something for i remember some from, from from freelance copywriting and i imagine you might have dealt with this before is getting what feels like the onset of carpal tunnel syndrome from typing right. so fucking much things like that like where it's nice in the sense that okay there's the sky's the limit on how much you make but obviously no one has the the, the capacity to churn out the amount of work it would take you to, to make the equivalent of like a well-paid media job, for example, doing this. Right. And so it's just sort of, I mean, I'm not trying to like, you know, cast aspersions on South Africa, but I have a feeling that if she lived in Pretoria, that like her cost of living is probably not that much. I mean, I could be wrong. She might live in one of those nightmare fortress compounds that people in South Africa live in, but right. still like, it's probably not that much. Yeah. And so it's just the idea that you can compare somebody in like not, well, not metropolitan center of yeah. South Africa to anyone else in the, in, the, in the world especially in a country like america where you don't have yeah. fucking health insurance yeah. Right. Uh, yeah well to be to be fair i don't think entrepreneur is trying to do make that comparison i think entrepreneur was just like hey an inspiring story about someone well, with me, did you ever see this <laughs> from the onion years ago but it was uh it was it was like this, this woman's first person op-ed it's like i lost 37 pounds in two weeks and i died i like this i like this um Another key, uh, her key to success lies in product differentiation. I joined Fiverr at a good time and it was still being discovered by many people. It's a little more challenging to master now. Think of yourself something you can offer that is high demand and set yourself apart. Why should people choose you instead of the next person, next gig, the gig next to yours in the search results? Flaunt your credentials, passion, skills, tenacity. You can also add a gig video, not just a picture, which puts you further up search results for more visibility oh and trust. Look, this is... If you go back in time, uh, I mean, you don't need to go back in time. Just scroll back in the podcast feed to the first um, the first edition of Riley's Comedy Book Club before I knew it was going to be a monthly thing. Uh, and you listen to the one I did about psychopolitics. It's all about this, this sort of the, the effective, the monetization of the of the effective of making a making a cute video where you're not begging for money because that wouldn't that because that people wouldn't effectively connect with that but where you're sort of have a rictus grin in your face and you're setting off some party poppers to show how much you really love illustrating the Robert Mueller book for the Krasenstein brothers <laughs> <laughs> Hey man you know what some people really just like you don't know that that illustrator might have had an entire library of notebooks full of Ronald Plump illustrations that yeah. he wanted to he this needed to find a home for. Them. That's he just passion. really wanted he to draw to ripped do, older men. He got to do what he wanted to do with his life. All right, some people become Tom of Finland. Some people just write for the crash, draw for the Krasensteins. Yeah, that's that that. If anything, I would say I, I I've never stopped thinking about that book. By the way, oh, like joked Mueller or whatever. Yeah, that where it's essentially it is just a sort of vaguely political and amateurish Tom of Finland cartoon. Oh <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Um, I love DeviantArt. <laughs> <laughs> shall we... Uh, yeah, I was going to say, I, mean, I, actually, I tried to very subtly segue into yeah. the into the, the Observer, the Telegraph, and then you totally didn't take the yeah. bait, and I was just like, no, fuck, no, I, it my was segue's been defeated. You know, hey, 
Now you know how I feel. Yes, Riley. I now I know how you feel. If you, other listeners of the podcast will recognize how many times it's probably been cut, but Riley has had to interject and be like, "No, can we get to the next point?" Because it's just go, the children have gone off on joke mode. Yes, and oh, his careful research has been for nothing. So, well, the next thing I have now is actually very carefully researched because it's a really delightful article in the Telegraph that I was very excited to share with uh, you guys now and you all listening. Um, Next Thursday, so for you today or yesterday, maybe you're listening to back episodes. Hi, what's it like in the future? Um, right in. <laughs> so, <Say> so. <laughs> here's the here's the article. Um, it is from the Telegraph by Celia Walden, and uh, it is entitled "Phoebe Waller Bridges Black Female 007 Shows the New Bond Will Display." Get the air horns ready. The worst kind of virtue signaling. <sighs> Is that a pseudonym? Sorry, can we go back to her name? Celia Walden. C- Celia Walden. It's a good name. I think Look, I had that in high school. Strong name. A very strong name. Um, so, uh, this if you don't know, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge, uh, creator of Fleabag and Killing Eve, was brought in to work on the script for the new James Bond movie because someone read it and was just like, oh, we need to get a woman writing a James Bond, even contributing to the writing of a James Bond movie for the first time in I think ever. Yeah, um, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, I mean. Yeah. They're not they're not particularly But the telegraph is pissed. Of course. <laughs> well, yes, because I mean for the entire most telegraph subscribers are the same demographic that we talk about on the show on a regular basis, which is the guys who the angry home county's dads who wish that their own dads loved them as much as they love Churchill. And yeah. it's just like Or angry in, home county's dads who are pretty sure that by reading enough books about it they've technically fought in World War II. <laughs> yes. The, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'm assuming before we even start the article that uh Please tell me that there's going to be a turn of phrase used to rival Marine Dowd saying "woke back mountain." Oh, that was wild! I know, right? <laughs> That's that. Hey, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, <laughs> damn. And what? I mean, there's still. Don't worry. This is still a delightful article. Uh, in what has preemptively been called a quote popcorn dropping moment, uh, the the 25th Bond film is said to begin with Spymaster M saying "come in 007," and in walks Lashana Lynch, who is black, beautiful, and a woman. Um, although Ian Fleming purist can breathe easy, it turns out she's not the new Bond, but an operative who takes over the spy's secret number, 007, after he leaves MI6. We're assured that the script has been washed clean of mucky misogynistic dialogue with the phrase Bond girls banned and poor new man, uh, in quotation marks, Bond, now a stooped, obsequious-faced handbagged figure who has swapped his tux for a this-is-what-a-feminist-looks-like t-shirt and the microchip cufflinks for a set of LGBT rainbow bracelets. Oh my god, I love it. <laughs> I mean, if this is actually what they're going to do, then hell yeah, but... <laughs> this is hilarious. This is my favorite. This is like that episode of Girls where they do crap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's... This is so specific. I, also, can I just ask, where's the popcorn dropping from? Um... I think uh, the, the vents in the in the sky. That's right. That's how it works in Britain. As you don't get popcorn, instead you sign up to be just. You have your means tested, and then based on your income, they put you under a certain density of popcorn. Is it a reward or a punishment? That's for you to decide. Oh, I like it. That's what me with a good time. <laughs> but right, don't we? Don't we? Lo- okay, number one. Well, so are they saying that the popcorn dropping moment is that a black woman works at MI6, uh, and well, and that she's 007, You know, and that she has a handbag. Yeah, I'm so I'm so mad. I'm so mad at this. I'm going to throw my popcorn on the floor like yeah. a normal person. Yeah. <laughs> also, don't we? Don't we also? This is a real tro- a, a real trope as well that happens all the time in this kind of article, which is right wing cultural criticism says, "Oh, you're too." Oh, you're too sensitive for all of the real mucky misogynistic stuff. That's like that's like Brendan O'Neill level of of saying like, oh, we can't say the N word anymore because it's too it's too harsh for people. Right. Yeah, it's like, oh, it's it's not it's as though this is a purely aesthetic preference. Right. Yeah, it's like there is as though it's as for people who are obsessed with the politics of everything they see like the people who threaten to like burn down the country because arthur's teacher was a gay gay rat um in the show arthur um you know it's um 
They're also <laughs> these are people who are I'm just not just in general. William, William, William F. Buckley coming back to yeah. life. It was like, oh, uh, they're they're protesting about gay rat weddings. He's just like, <laughs> clearly, I told you, I knew it was gonna, it would come down to this. Yeah, right. But the, for people who believe so heavily that there's no politics at all in and in, in entertainment, they seem to write and because they just think that like the misogyny is just objectionable rather than a political act or whatever. Right. They seem to be obsessed with writing angry political screeds about about cultural products I'm just it's like invariably it's going to wind up being that like this this won't enter into the, the actual bond canon they were like no we have this alternate script which set in 1965 in rhodesia or something like that <laughs> that's the only bond we can accept <laughs> where james where, where james bond heroically like where, where james bond heroically stops a like um um uh uh like it's okay, Riley. Movement. We don't have to make a joke about it. No, no. I was it's trying to remember what the Tintin. South African what um <laughs> I was trying to remember what the South African student movement was called. Oh, I don't remember oh, yeah. either, man. Um, but that, but that James, the hero of that movie would be the an actually old, very old James Bond, like the reanimated corpse of Roger Moore gets sent down to South Africa to like support apartheid, and then all of these angry home counties, fake World War II veteran dads would love it. They they can see that movie and then we'll see the good one that has production values and doesn't star. Uh, I don't know. Is Roger Moore dead? I think so, but I mean, I suppose I could just Wikipedia. Yeah, hang on. We're gonna look at look this up. Just... Is Roger Moore dead? Right in. Um, I got. Is yeah, that not is just a pitch for Tintin, like the comic book series? <laughs> <laughs> so this femi vention it's funny you bring that up because we actually just found out that captain haddock apparently says things in, in the french version of tintin that are vaguely anti-semitic oh, and really? so right his girlfriend was translating some of the the colorful slurs he uses that apparently okay. like are actually kind of yeah, well not good. not good uh hey maybe he can be in the new bond movie i was gonna say so, ca- our captain fa- our ca- captain captain haddock standing captain, has captain faddock more like because he's got a fucking fatty Okay. <laughs> Everyone wants to fuck Captain Haddock. <laughs> it's a thing with our Discord where there was a, a, a like a two week span where people were just talking about can Captain Haddock hit these back walls, and the answer was apparently yes. Uh, so it's just like this femivention comes from TV writer Phoebe Waller Bridge, the quote unquote feminist <laughs> creator of Killing Even Fleabag, who was drafted after concerns that Bond may not be relevant now because of who he is and how he treats women, as Waller Bridge puts it. So it's again, it's like, uh, how dare the market want the, want something to be more inclusive of a wider audience? Why can't the market make p- cultural products for me, right. a guy called like Gus who lives in <laughs> high brooms? But also, like, why were there air quotes around feminist and know. not femivention? Like, what can you spell that out for me? F E M I hyphen right V E N T I O N. Uh, that's a that's a dictionary word. That's a Scrabble word. Is it feminist? Is of course not. That's what you had to put okay. air quotes on it. Uh, so I guess it's just weird to me. Like Fleabag, they probably brought in the uh, the, the person who wrote Fleabag, whose name Phoebe Phoebe Waller Bridge. Waller Bridge. Okay, I, I was like, am I gonna say Waller Bridge and it's wrong? I'm gonna sound like I'm naming a John Lennon album or something, but actually, no, it, it is her right, her real name. Um, probably because Fleabag was popular. <laughs> like yeah. the idea that it's bringing to, to like make Bond feminist. It's just mm. I, I feel like it's ascribing way more, um, what you might call kind of like culture war. Uh, not really culture war, but just like it's uh, ascribing way more deliberate intentions besides making money to yeah. a film. Yeah, right. it's they, they're appeal they, like they're doing the market. They're appealing to a wider audience. Because it just so happens that these people who think that all culture should be made specifically for them tend to be people who are roughly the same age as Roger Moore uh, is now. Right. He well, did so actually like, die two years ago. If, yeah, he's dead now. <laughs> yeah. and if you, but it's also it's like do they want everybody? 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 Um, pay respects to Roger Moore in the most appropriate uh, way now. If you're listening, I, I just laugh at it because it's like <laughs> they, they want to make this. It's like. How would you do that, Miley? Um, I'm actually interested. I don't want to color out anyone's celebration. What I'd like you to do is uh, tweet at the podcast. How did you pay respects to Roger Moore when I told you to just now? Okay. Wasn't Roger Moore in the Bond movie where they turn him Asian? I'm pretty sure he was. I'm pretty sure. Because Timothy Dalton was in the one where Duran Duran did the theme song. Yeah. But... All of these people, they don't want a black woman James Bond. They, they want, want a black James face James they Bond. They want James Bond in fucking, yeah, getting getting painted up to be Asian, yeah. which actually happens in one of the movies. They want black face James Bond. Nuts. I've never heard of that. Y- oh, yes, nuts. absolutely. Uh, I think it's The Living Daylights, but let me look it up really fast. Yes, I mean, it, if I'm being honest, I haven't seen that many James Bond films because I can't tell white people's faces apart. Uh, 
<laughs> so, never mind that Fleming's age, death, and STD-despying spy has always been about as, quote, relevant and representative as Charles Schultz's fictional cartoon Beagle Snoopy, or that Bond's chauvinist pigisms were always designed to amuse, but in these enlightened times, sexism is, sexism is not funny ever. But there's just one little problem with this. In my regressive little world, at least, I still find overt sexism to be funny. Who edited this? What? A third grader? <laughs> it is written like a child. Well, here's here's what the part that I, I really enjoy is the next two paragraphs. Um, reading over Bond's most sexist comments earlier had me snorting with laughter. And then we get the comments. Quote, now put your clothes back on and I'll buy you an ice cream. Bond instructs BB doll, the ice skater niece of a Greek smuggler and for your eyes only. Rolling with laughter. Absolutely rolling with laughter at that one. I mean, that reminds me of everyone told me that MASH was this amazing series. It was like really like trenchant observ- observations of war. And then I watched, tried to watch the first season of MASH. And it's basically an early 70s show where like every time there's a female character, someone's like, come back to my hammock later, hoots or something like that. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, <laughs> oh, it hasn't yeah, aged well. Like I just, um, but it's like, but what's, what's the joke there? It's a joke now, that she's your- an ice skater and she wants ice cream. <laughs> That's the only joke I can see. Is it wordplay? <laughs> And and in Octopussy, when warned by intelligence operative VJ um, Amritrage that the island is, quote, exclusively for women, the movie world's favorite dinosaur muses, sexual discrimination, I will definitely have to pay it a visit. What? Uh, what? How? How have you picked? Are those the two funniest lines from Bond movies? I feel like the funniest line is just Octopussy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, Bond movies do sometimes have funny lines. I admit that I I giggle at the beginning of um, The World Is Not Enough, where when where, where Pierce Brosnan Bond punches the guy Holt smoking a cigarette and then says "filthy habit." I don't know why. I just find it kind of cute. But I don't understand what what is so great about the line Octopussy, where basically Bond goes almost up to the step of like Andrew Andrew Doyle style. Ah, there's discriminating against men, huh? I mean, it just sounds like they put it, like, I don't know, like, got, like, a random number generator, found all the Bond pickup lines and chose two of them. Yeah. That's nuts. Well, yes. <laughs> but here's the great right-wing thing. writer being lazy. Never. So this could mean. not happen. Here's my favorite, <laughs> my favorite part, though. Aren't flagrant generalizations the root of comedy? Are they? I mean, if I you're a right-wing asshole, yeah, I think they are. <laughs> men can't multitask. Women can't drive. Men can't change nappies. Women can't read maps. Riffing away on gender stereotypes that range from painfully true to containing a grain of truth is all part of the joyable and undeniable business of being different. What? Uh, <laughs> I feel like we're like three paragraphs in. She's just going to forget what she's talking about. And this is going to be a defense of go- gollywogs on jam again. Um, yeah. The, fam- the famous <laughs> telegraph article. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, yeah. That's that. This is this is all that comedy is. And so comedy is either like 19 early 1990s women driver jokes right. or it's saying your gender is something weird like an attack helicopter or like a like a like a like a moose. That is wild. Yeah, those are the two. Those are the two types of comedy. Either you could, it's like it's about women drivers, or it's I identify as an attack helicopter. But also, I think there's it, no it, other kind of comedy. The, right. bon, the Bonds, a lot of the Bond movies were really corny in a way. Like they were, yeah. they were kind of, I guess you could say, kind of over the top, sort of absurd. Right. Yeah, and so as like the idea that that stuff will change, but I mean. To be fair, the Pierce Brosnan ones were a lot more serious, and all the ones oh, since then have been a lot more yeah. serious. Like they're a little ridiculous. I mean, having uh, Famke Johnson's character be named Zenya on a top, and it's like, and she has she Golden gets on top one. of dudes, crushes them with her legs. Even then, the like, only like only like um after uh, Casino Royale did they really make the Bond mo- try to make the Bond movies serious, and that's just because they were trying to make uh, you know James yeah, Bond. Yeah, I was going to say like, how, I was going to say how can you how can James Bond compete with Jason Statham? Or Jason, right. or Jason Bourne, in this case. Yeah, that's right? true. So yeah, it seems yeah. like what she's really doing is she's just complain, complaining that the Bond movies aren't like they used to be in the sixties. Like this is three generations so of you, Bond. You and Milo are right. the experts on the Crank series, but are, are, are there sexist jokes in the Crank series? Uh, it's full of it. I was going to say hilarious. So I was like, James Bond is now a serious, you know, spy, spy thriller in the vein of Jason Bourne or Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy, and. The Crank series has all the sexist jokes you She want, should just and- watch Crank 2 High Voltage. Exactly. It's like... <laughs> Could you introduce the Crank series? I'm unfamiliar. <gasps> oh, my God. I love the movie Crank a lot. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Basically, Jason Statham stars as a an ex-hitman named Chev Chelios who runs... Bet- who sprints uh, through Los Angeles um, after he is 
poisoned by um, the Chinese shit, as it's called. But he's poisoned by some... That's what they called me in high school. <laughs> well, uh, he's poisoned by these gangsters, and if his adrenaline levels drop, he'll die. So he basically has to keep an adrenaline rush going for more or less the entire balance of the film. He wears bootcut jeans and like they a party shirt. Pans. Um, oh, the, that they that plays into it. Okay. Uh, he, he also has to like electrocute himself with a car battery. No, that's the second. Oh, that's second. Okay. Oh, yeah. uh, that's crank I've two high voltage. I've literally only heard it from you guys doing Jason Statham. Like, Listen, cupcake. Like so. Yeah, yeah. Jesus. Uh, so <laughs> it's really look, that so the uh, and so basically he just has to run around town getting um getting an adrenaline rush the whole time. But it's a brilliant piece of filmmaking and it's entirely ludicrous and the james bond movies of the 1960s were also entirely ludicrous i think it's kind of a shame that we've lost them to being sort of super pulpy but she seems to most she only really realized the bond movies stopped being super pulpy and ludicrous when it was proposed that like one black woman be cast in the movies yeah because i mean to be fair there, there are not very many black characters no. in james bond movies yeah. uh, uh, halle berry yeah anyone else I can't think of. I mean, it's there. Would, probably would have been some in the in the in the sixties movies. I don't really know the sixties ones super well, but regardless, Grace Jones in any of them? I don't know. I don't know. I think she might be. Anyway, beside the point. Regardless, regardless, it, it's it's yeah. It, it's she seems she seems to be uh, conflating the fact that James that the James Bond movie series has now become like a popcorn thriller, uh, and with the fact that like. And she's hating on that, but she's got this wrapping paper around it of "I'm mad." There's a black woman in, in, in well, the, as a lead character, the who's damn not, feminist, who's not there Femina- to get feminating things up. Well, that comes back. Who's not just there to get spanked on the ass and told to like you know go get a, a stapler? I don't know what James Bond does. Um, he has a re- it's not really that, but it's just more like he's just there. constantly hooking up with like like wherever yeah, it's, it's whenever a woman is introduced in the movie, you know he's going to have sex with them. Right. Like yeah. that that that's really I mean like uh-huh. the one liners are one thing, the, but like the one woman who's not who's not there for him to either fuck or almost or fight. Right. Yeah, because I mean he's constantly sexually harassing his secretary, Money Penny. Like it's just it's it's that's all old. Yeah, that's all yeah. that's all from the old old bonds. Anyway, uh, she concludes the article. But the real dangers to society don't tend to be the ones who walk around spouting bondisms. Again, what is a bondism? Just saying something. I think it's the, the thing with the ice cream from earlier. <laughs> uh, yeah, she says, because, yeah, it's true. Very few people actually talk like that. Fine. But those whose everyday language is riddled with insidious or implied prejudice and bigotry, the school WhatsApp groups only ever addressed to mums, the handing of the bill to men, and as always, the pink flowery tool sets that women frequently are given. Are they? Are I don't. I what? don't know. I thought she was going to be like the more insidious kinds of problems, like Jeremy Corbyn, <laughs> the way they always do. <laughs> um, no, so we do get we, we. It she sort of like takes a turn to the woke towards the end, but it's like, what do you think is the cultural um, uh, scaffolding that keeps all of those things going? Right. But also the idea that's like in James Bond movies, women characters existed primarily so James Bond could hook up with them. Yeah. Or they're like villainesses that work with the evil villain he has to defeat. Yeah, fuck the, the, fact that, the fact that Judy Dench played M was in a way kind of a huge reversal for the franchise because it had always been a guy. And the idea that James Bond's boss would be a woman uh, in GoldenEye, like that was actually kind of a, a, a shock to it because it was just predicated on that. And so it really sounds like she's mad because there's a woman character, there's a black woman character, and she's not there I for mean, James no, she's Bond. she's mad because she's a telegraph writer. Well, uh, yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and she says, I'd take one of Bond's searing sexisms over a dinky, femified tool set any day, but then I'd laughingly counter with one of my own. Man, I wish I had a husband that I wish I had a husband that sexually harassed me. That would be so great. That's Christ. So wild. Yeah, it's a I hey. feel like it also kind of like sidesteps one of the things that I have enjoyed when I've watched old James Bond films is that they're quite campy. Yeah. yeah. They are that exact type of over the top. Where like that kind of like they have that kind of mumble mouth. Uh, the yeah. mumble mouth writing that you often it was really common in like 30 Rock when they're parroting. Uh, you know, kind of the television shows from the 60s and 70s of like, oh, honey, are you a refrigerator? Because I'd like to turn your handle. <laughs> yeah. Like that well, kind of, yes. I mean, that kind of like high camp, high it, glam. That's a happy, that's what I want in a romantic partner is someone who like will walk up to me and sort of like mutter about, mutter about um, why my why my ass looks so good in this, in this suit or whatever. That's right. what I'm looking for. You basically... James Bond was like a continuation of vaudeville, except it was a spy th- like a spy thriller. And they're trying and- to make it woke, and that's a sign that the society is crumbling. Yeah, I mean, like James Bond originally started as like Tom and Jerry, but with like um, sex. Yeah, 
And now, and it, it's it's Tom and Jerry, but now the problem is Tom and Jerry have to be married. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because, yeah, it, it used to be a revelation for people to ask, what if spies were horny? And yeah. it's like, you know what? Now well, they got to be woke. Hey, uh, there's the theory that Jeffrey Epstein's a spy, <laughs> but oh. we'll leave it there um, for for today. We'll we'll come back to that theory another day. This this flight won't go over international waters. Sorry, Indeed. sorry, listeners. sorry, everybody. Uh, Nathan, <laughs> thank you very much for coming around. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, do you have anything you want to plug or promote before we go? Oh, um, you can follow me at Twitter. Um, and actually, yeah, that's it. Yeah, Bye. that's it. Just follow just follow him on Twitter. That's it. Stop asking questions. I mean. Um, and then uh, it only remains for me to say thank you for subscribing to our Patreon, which you are currently listening to right now. Uh, and don't forget to come see us at Birmingham Transformed. Uh, Alice will be coming down from Glasgow. It's on August 8th. There'll be a ticket link in the description. It's a whole festival of leftism in Birmingham uh, on, that, on that whole weekend. So it's going to be great. There's some great speakers lined up. Uh, and then we're going to be the Edinburgh Fringe on the 10th of August. Come get tickets to that. They're selling fast. And then we're going to be at the World Transformed on the 21st of September or some day in the... They haven't told us what day we're on yet, but we're going to be on one of those days. Um, and otherwise, uh, you know, keep buying shirts. And uh, do... Anytime I tell you to write in, do write in, but on, on mail, physical mail. Find out our address and send us physical mail. No, don't do that. Please don't find out the address of the podcast. <laughs> All right. Uh, later, everybody. <laughs>